Welcome to the Tally Room Podcast. I'm Ben Rowie. The New South Wales local government elections drew to a close on December 4. By now, we have a good sense of most election results, although the counting is still ongoing. My guest today to discuss these results is Osman Chu. Osman is a research fellow at the per capita think tank and a rank and file representative on the New South Wales Labor State Policy Forum. Hello, Osmond. Thanks for having me, Ben. So there are many stories from these results, lots of different councils to talk about, but perhaps we can start here. The Liberal Party pulled out of a bunch of Sydney councils before the election, and that largely has helped the Labor Party strengthen their position. Labor is on track to be the leading party of government in Parramatta, Cumberland, Inner West and Bayside without any Liberal interference. Yet the picture hasn't been uniform. Labor lost a seat in Penrith and possibly lost the mayoralty in Liverpool. Oz, what race has most interested you? Well, as a resident of the Inner West Council, that's been a big focus of mine over the last few months. Um, I'd say that it's been a surprisingly good result for Labor. They look like they're on track to get at least seven seats and potentially a majority in their own right, which would see the mayoralty return to Darcy Byrne um, after a Green Independent Alliance ousted him a few months ago. So following on from what you said, I think the Liberals not, did not endorse a ticket in the Inner West. Um, and the traditional thinking was that it might help the centre-right independents. So incumbent Liberal MP, Liberal councillors were recontesting as independents. Um, but in fact, it seemed to have the opposite effect. There were two sitting Liberals who both did quite poorly, but it also looks like the other Conservative Independent, who um, the three of them had allied with Labor in terms of Labor versus Greens fights on the council until recently, but it was their withdrawal that meant that the mayoralty went back to the Greens at the last mayoral election. That Those three abstained, and they're the three seats that Labor looks like they might pick up to get their majority. So it does appear that um, the Conservatives have really suffered from that and not having Liberal endorsement, I'm sure, is a factor. It's interesting as well because... The gap in the primary vote between the Greens and Labor isn't that big. You know, neither of them got over 40% of the vote. But if Labor gets to a majority, it's just that extra couple of percentage points in the right places really works for them. And it does show that while we have a proportional voting system, it's not that proportional. You tend to, you know, one side gets a third of the seats, the other side gets a third, and it just comes down to those last five seats. And those seats can all flip on quite small margins and you end up with a one side getting a majority with a lot less than a majority of the vote. Mm, yeah. And uh, I think one thing that was also interesting out of the Inner West Council election is that while the sort of proportional increase in the vote for Labor and the Greens was pretty consistent across three of the wards, um, there was quite a divergence in two of them. So in the Balmain and Marrickville wards. Uh, so in that Marrickville Labor's vote increased significantly from the last election. Um, you know, there's potentially a few reasons why. Um, last time there was a clover-aligned independent who ran, who nearly beat the um, centre-right independent uh, Victor Macri, um, and that potentially had an effect. Um, and also, interestingly, in Balmain Ward, Labor's vote went down, while the Greens' vote went up considerably as well. So no doubt last time it was a kind of a high watermark. And I think one thing over the last few months that has been clear has been a fairly strong negative campaign against the former Mayor Darcy Byrne. Um, but also just the increase in the Green primary was very interesting, which 
might have suge- might suggest that the change in the lead candidate had a really big impact. Um, moving on, uh, I know you've also been interested in Cumberland Council. So Cumberland was a new council that got created out of uh, Auburn, Holroyd and the Granville part of Parramatta in the amalgamation process. And uh, I would think of it as it's the more Labor voting, poorer southern areas around Parramatta. Labor won a majority in their own right at the last election, but then on two separate occasions, the conservative minority basically picked off a single Labor councillor, gave them the mayoralty, broke them away from the Labor bloc. And it's created this um, bigger conservative block in the tradition of Billy Hughes and the many Labor rats who went off and formed parties with the Conservatives. That's another of the councils where the Liberals didn't run. And there's a party there called Our Local Community that had three sitting councillors, one of whom had been Labor at the last election, the current Mayor Steve Christou. And they have done quite well in the absence of the Liberals. But at the moment, it looks like Labor might just scrape across the line and regain their majority. Yeah, and it, it's an interesting thing looking at that our local community party, uh, which was formed by former Parramatta Lord Mayor Paul Garrard, uh, who who himself was a Labor councillor for a very long time. So it's an interesting situation where it look Labor looks like it is on will regain a majority um, and take back the mayoralty, um, and. I think I've sort of been really interested in the region's park ward of Cumberland Council, uh, where Labor got, I think, a quota of 1.6 last time, but has had a significant increase there um, to nearly, I think it was last time I checked, about 2.5. And for a moment, it looked like they might have gotten three out of three councillors. Yeah, there were two wards that I was looking at where that might have happened. The other one was the Port Botany, I think it's called Ward 1 now, of Bayside Council. Also, for a brief moment, it looked like Labor was going to get three out of three. Very strong Labor areas, that one. So an impressive result there. Um, And down the road from Cumberland, you've got Parramatta, um, my local council. So Paul Garrard moved to Cumberland when Granville got moved, but his daughter, Michelle, got elected to that Parramatta Council for the same party. And that party has also become like the major right-wing party on Parramatta Council now has four seats, but it looks like Parramatta will have Labor as the largest party needing Greens and Progressive Independents to govern. Before we leave OLC, the other interesting story from them as well was Canada Bay. I don't know if you know anything about Canada Bay, but Angelo Serekis, who has been the mayor for a very long time, almost two decades, was deselected by Labor, but ran for our local community and it looks like has gotten um, himself elected as mayor and probably two colleagues with him onto the council. Yeah, that was an interesting contest and he ended up linking up with that Our Local Community Party that a number of former Labor councillors have been associated with in Cumberland and Parramatta. Um, And I guess in it, there's a bit of a lesson that in safe seats for parties, while they might hold a seat at a state or federal level, there is a threat when there's a viable independent, particularly in these direct election contests. So if you look at the Fairfield Council where the incumbent Frank Carboni, who in a similar situation was the incumbent mayor a number of years ago, incumbent Labor mayor and lost pre-selection, um, he ran and won and he comprehensively won the election, I think about 75-25 this time. But also... You know, you see a situation up in Byron as well where the Greens had held a mayoralty for a very long time and the incumbent Green mayor quit the Greens 
Well, he lost pre-selection for council and then he quit the party. Oh, he lose pre... Oh, did yeah. So a very similar situation. Um, it's unclear who will win the mayoralty, but it looks like the Greens will not. Um, and their primary vote also halved. So I guess that's a lesson for all parties that in these directly elected contests, um, if you are deselecting a incumbent, it can have quite an impact. And just because you do well at a state or federal level has no guarantee on your local government votes. Fairfield was one of the most interesting elections in 2016 because of that Carboni, because he, he formed an alliance with Dai Lee, who was a moderate Liberal who had been elected as an independent in 2012 because Fairfield in 2012, the Liberals withdrew from running there in the same way they have this time from a bunch of councils, including Fairfield. Um, but in 2016, she wasn't going to get Liberal pre-selection. She ran on a ticket with uh, Andrew Rohan, who's a former Liberal state MP, and they basically formed another party. They don't have party registration. They're just independents. Um, Di now has party registration just with her name. But they're not registered as a Carboni Lee party, but they clearly are a joint ticket. And what's happened in the last five years is Fairfield moved from having three wards of four to two wards of six, and they've done really well. Like in his own ward, Frank Carboni's ticket looks likely to get four seats on council in his ward, and he's not eligible. So it's their number five candidate is going to get elected in that ward. Um and so I think at the moment, last time I checked, they were on track for about nine or ten seats out of thirteen on that council. So that's a that's a super majority, and it's just totally um, evicted Labor from power in Fairfield. Mm, and particularly given the ward change that made the wards more proportional, I think Labor's vote was in the either high teens or low twenties. I think a few other interesting ones are, you know, looking at Ride, for example. So we saw a fairly strong vote for the incumbent mayor, Jerome Laxell, and his, I think it was West Ward, with the Labor ticket hitting about 40%. Um, but going back to your previous point about how, you know, incumbency and incumbent parties have sort of benefited from this prolonged local government election period um, interrupted by lockdowns, um, both Labor and the Liberals got a primary vote increase. Um, and the Greens have gone backwards, and it it looks like they the Greens might lose all their councillors. Yeah, so it's unclear what's going to happen with the mayoralty, but without the Greens, it might make it a bit harder for Labor to regain the mayoralty. Right is an interesting one. There's a few of these councils where the party system kind of looks a bit more like a Scandinavian party system where um, there's a bunch of parties, but there's two clear blocks and everyone falls into one block or the other. So, you know, if you're voting for the Greens in Ride, you know you're voting for the Labor mayor or candidate. In Ride, it's sort of in the Labor's interest for the Greens to get that last seat, but um, it looks like May- Labor might actually beat them and take that seat off them. Ride has four member wards and they tend to produce deadlocks, and I've talked about that a bit on the blog. Um it looks quite possible you end up in a situation where it's a 6-6 deadlock on the council. You've got Labor, maybe Labor plus Greens at six, and then you've got Liberals plus Conservative Independents on six. You draw a name out of a hat every mayoral election, and whoever wins the hat draw gets a casting vote. It's a very bad system, and that kind of explains why Ride has voted overwhelmingly to switch to having a directly elected mayor. So next time, the council voting system will be the same, but there'll be that one extra seat for the mayor that will kind of break that deadlock. Greens did quite well in like northwestern Sydney. Uh, they got three seats on Hornsby and they got their first seat in the hills probably and they're getting one or two in Parramatta. Probably one, but they could get two. Uh, so it's a good result for them. We still don't know who's going to be the mayor of Wollongong and that will make a difference because if Labor wins the mayor there, they'll have a, a complete majority on Wollongong Council. Um, but that one looks very close. 
And uh, Shoalhaven is always really interesting. Uh, it looks like Greens and Labor will get six out of the 12 seats on the council, same voting system as Ride. Uh, but the mayoralty is a total unknown. There's at least four right-wing candidates who have at least 9% each. Between them, they have about 60% of the vote and the incumbent Green mayor is on 34. But uh, I reckon she could win. Like I reckon there's going to be a lot of voter exhaustion without how to vote cards between those right-wing candidates. And Findlay will get a few preferences as the incumbent mayor and um, she might be able to scrape across the line. And if that happens, there'll be a Greens plus Labor majority on Shoalhaven Council, which is incredible from an area that's always been a very conservative council. Yeah, would that be the first time they've had a sort of progressive majority down that way? I think so. Yeah, they've had a Greens mayor for five years, but always with a right-wing majority on the council. One other thing worth mentioning is the informal vote. Uh, There's been a lot of talk about the informal vote. It's a bit premature because a lot of votes that will end up being counted as formal have been thrown in the informal pile and will come back once the final vote is in. But it does look possible the informal rate will be up. That would make sense because how to votes were banned, made it harder for people to know how to vote. Um, And I also noticed a bit of a trend that it looks like the councils that have had the biggest uptick in informal votes are also the councils where the Liberals pulled out at the last minute. Traditionally, you know, if the Liberal Party doesn't run into council, there are other conservative options for people to vote for. But the Liberals kind of just pulled out at the last minute without giving really anyone any notice. So um, I wouldn't be surprised if there's a block of Liberal voters in those councils that have um, sat out the election. Something that is interesting is, you know, the Greens doing well in Hornsby. It, it almost seems like there's a comparison with Shoalhaven because in both cases, the uh, the main sort of progressive candidate for the mayoral election was a Green. So in the case of Hornsby, it was the Greens versus Philip Ruddock and similarly in Shoalhaven, there was no Labor mayoral candidate. It was just the Greens candidate. Um, so kind of it's just interesting to see that and whether or not that has a broader effect on party votes. Um, as I, I feel like direct election, there will be a gradual move towards direct elections, you know, slowly place by place, but it seems like, it is a more popular way of electing the mayor. We'll get to the changing voting system in a sec because I think you're right on that. But about Hornsby and Shoalhaven, it is interesting. Like, is it that Labor doesn't bother with these areas because they can't control them? Um, I mean, they do, but they don't. They don't try as hard. Is it that the Greens are just a better fit for those areas as being the progressive opposition, usually to a conservative majority? The Greens just do a little bit better than Labor, so they tend to thrive. Um, is it something else? I don't know, but um, I don't like. I, don't, I think the Greens are a long way away from ever being able to win like a lower house seat in places like that. But does it have a long term effect that if you're in places like Hornsby or Shoalhaven or maybe some other conservative areas on the North Shore, you've got a Liberal majority and then a Greens minority, and Labor is kind of a small minor party as well as that, and. Uh, that might have interesting dynamics in the future um, if that happens because they're not the same as the areas where the Greens you know, win lower house seats, for example. So there's been a number of other ballot questions put to voters alongside the council elections. These questions usually are constitutional in nature about the local council. Should the mayor be directly elected? Should there be wards? Um, should the council be de-amalgamated? Should we reduce the number of councillors? Oz, you've been spending a lot of time looking at the NOS council de-amalgamation poll. It looks like yes has won comfortably. What's your take? Yeah, so from the results so far, it's looking like there's at least 60% in favour of a de-amalgamation. Um, so it's worth noting it, this isn't a referendum, it's a poll, so it's non-binding. Um, 
but it will be fascinating to see if there's a divergence in the vote across those three old local council areas. So just from unofficial results, it seems to suggest that the yes vote was lower in those southern bits of Leichhardt Council, as well as parts of Ashfield Council. Um, and, you know, there's a few possible explanations for the results. Um, so I, I think it's quite clear that the pro amalgamation campaign was the only organised campaign. Uh, so while sort of individuals had expressed their views against the emerging, there effectively was no organised opposing campaign. You know, the fact that Greens also have been quite vocal about it, advocating a yes vote while Labor ran dead on us. And I, I think the other aspect to it is that it should be thought of as whether or not it's a protest vote. Um, so firstly, it's expressed dissatisfaction with the decision initially, um, but also in the Marik, old Marrickville area, there has been significant rate rises. Um, so it's quite possible that that sort of all fed, that, that fed into us. Um, as well as I think finally, there was a level of disengagement that hasn't really been spoken about. Um, the fact that it was quite clear coming up to the polling day that many people who are usually politically engaged um, didn't really know about the poll or you know, the reasons for or against. Um, and I think for quite a few people, they turned up to vote and realised for the first time they were voting in this poll um, and didn't get a yes-no flyer with them. <laughs> so they would have made their mind up on the spot. If there's a Labor majority, Labor's attitude seems to have been, look, they're not, they weren't pro the merger in the first place, although I think they probably were less opposed to it than the Greens were. Um, but that the mergers happen. The council is is happening. We've spent the money on merging all these services together. This council is fine. Let's just get on with it. Um, if Labor has a majority on the council, but there's a mandate to pursue de-amalgamation, it creates an interesting dilemma. I don't know where they go from there because they, the next step would be a submission to the Boundaries Commission, which would consider it. And ultimately, the minister has the final call. But there'd be a whole bunch of questions there about who would pay the cost of de-amalgamation because there would be costs involved. How much is that borne by the local council or the successor smaller local councils or the state government? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think Labor has said that they would respect the result of the poll no matter what. So I, my guess is that they will be putting forward a case uh, to the Boundaries Commission. Ultimately, it will be a decision for the minister, but I think all the parties going into the local government elections in the inner west said they would respect the result of the poll. I believe Labor's policy now involves having the option to have binding referendums as well. So if the state government doesn't move on it, but we have a Labor government in 2023, we may well see a second referendum, but this one would be binding and presumably would face more opposition and more talk about the concrete costs that would be involved as opposed to this being kind of symbolic, kind of real. Yeah, it'll make things interesting. <laughs> and I, I wanted to mention a couple of others. The one I find actually the most interesting in the state is Dubbo. So Dubbo has two member wards, terrible, terrible voting system. And the reason they have two member wards is that um, Dubbo got merged with Wellington Council, quite small neighbouring council in 2016. And they needed to have five wards for Wellington to have its own ward, basically. And what's happened is the majority of the council has pushed a referendum to just have no wards, just 11 people elected across the whole council. Wellington's councillors were strongly opposed um, to 
well, to the merger, but also to the change to the ward system. And what's happened now is it looks like Dubbo voters, who are the vast majority, have overwhelmingly voted yes for the referendum, while Wellington voters have voted no, but have been outvoted. So it's an interesting thing about local democracy and... Um, and uh, I, I'm going to be interested to see what the final results look like in that area. Um, because if Wellington voters want to vote for Wellington candidates, they will still get elected, but uh, they won't be limited to the choice of who runs in their ward. Yeah, I think one other really interesting aspect of this sort of Dubbo referendum is that I think earlier this year, Dubbo Council published an Aboriginal electoral engagement strategy. And so in the Dubbo region, about 15% of the population is First Nations, but it currently there is not currently a single councillor who is, you know, identifies as Aboriginal or Torres Strait Islander. Um, so I also wonder how much influence that also had on the decision to do this. Maybe not explicitly, but I think, you know, that might have also had an influence on the thinking behind the referendum. Oh, yeah. I mean, I had not considered that factor, but of course, um, two-member wards uh, result in the, the the majority in an area wins most of the seats and the minority that might have enough enough people to elect a couple of councillors across a whole council misses out entirely. And in this case, it might be a question of a racial minority in the Aboriginal community that, you know, if Dubbo elects 11 councillors, no wards, that's 8% quota, something like that, 8 9%. And um, if the Indigenous community wants to elect Indigenous candidates, they will absolutely be able to. Oz, you mentioned earlier that uh, you thought direct election of mayor was taking off. What's interesting is there were four votes about direct election of mayor. Griffith had a vote on getting rid of their directly elected mayor, which failed badly. Over 70% voted no. Bega Valley and Ride, over 70% voted yes to have a directly elected mayor. Wagga Wagga had a vote to have a directly elected mayor. But the question that they asked, they asked the question, then at the end they said, noting this will result in increased election costs each and every election, which I find very strange. It's not a particularly costly thing to have a directly elected mayor. But um, just over 50% of people in Wagga now, the vote is just over 50% for no. So it looks like maybe that's failed. I don't really understand why they had such a leading question, who was in the position to make that decision, that they would hold a referendum, but then put their thumb on the scale to get people to vote no. But um, that's going to be an interesting one to watch because that's very close and could go either way still. And I think that also reinforces that the wording of the question matters significantly. So that's about it for this episode of the Tally Room Podcast. Thank you, Osmond, for joining me. Thanks for having me. This is the last episode of the Tally Room Podcast for 2021, but I'll be back in 2022 to cover all of the big elections, including the 2022 Australian federal election. You can find this podcast on your podcast app of choice. If you like the show, please consider rating or reviewing us on iTunes. You can follow The Tally Room on Twitter at The Tally Room or like us on Facebook. This podcast is made possible thanks to the generous support of our donors on Patreon. Sign up at patreon.com slash tallyroom. Information about this podcast is available at tallyroom.com.au and you can email questions or feedback to thetallyroom at gmail.com. Thanks to Krista Bro for writing the music here in this episode. Once again, thanks for listening. <laughs>